1: somewhat strange to think that the way we most fully express love is through surrender. Is through letting go. <clears throat> Normally we might think of love as being something uh, at least experientially that shows up as being covetous. Like there's almost like an ownership. And yet In release, in surrendering to a relationship that supports growth means that we are actually giving over, giving up the other person. It also implies this surrender uh, as an expression of love also uh, applies to ourselves and the way we meet the world. There was a moment in my life where I thought uh, that death was literally assured. And so I was convinced that, boy, this is, uh, is going to probably be painful and um, all sorts of other all sorts of other stuff, but I was on a bus trip from Kathmandu in Nepal up to the uh, it's a little town called Dunche. and as the crow flies, it's not much more probably than uh, 50 miles. But in the uh, in the bus um, that I was in. And on the roads that that we had to traverse, we were looking at an incredible climb on one lane of dirt. Unstable dirt at that. And I can recall, you know, I had my backpack up on the roof and so forth and I got into the, I got into the bus. And I'm I'm sitting there towards, towards the back of the bus. I can actually look at the floorboard and I can see the drive, drivetrain, I can see, I I can see the mechanization of the bus through the floor in addition to the ground. So to say that there was some type of code that that bus company had to follow would be an overstatement. It was basically this thing runs, the driver is probably not drunk, you'll get there. And you just rolled the dice. And that's exactly what I did. I got on there, I kind of rolled the dice. And as I sat down, I realized this whole thing was filling up. And then people kept coming on board, and people kept jumping up on the roof. And as they were coming on board, what was so fascinating is this old man who, who was kind of hunched over and very, very frail looking. He's walking towards the back, and he's walking towards me. He looks at me, and he goes, raises his hand, and then turns and puts his hand around my thigh and then puts his hand around the other guy's thigh across the aisle and kind of squats. So I've got this old man (laughs) wrapped around one thigh and he's also wrapped around another guy's thigh. And I don't think it was that he liked me. It was that he needed stability (laughs) and didn't want to fall through the crack in the the floor. And then the trip started. And uh, if you've ever seen Roadrunner, you know when he's got those the the cliffs and the, the cars are like driving along the cliffs and it's like straight down, straight down or at a negative angle. That's exactly my experience. And anybody who's taken this road in a bus knows that it is easily one of the most frightening things that anybody could do, um, at least from my perspective. And. uh, there started to be some uh, instability on the back end of the the bus as we were going around corners and so forth and I I could look out and I could see the tail kind of fishing out over over the ledge and I would just kind of get back into my my seat and kind of go, what the hell am I doing? You know, I've got a... uh, I was planning on getting married, you know, within the next, uh, uh, you know, six to eight months. I was just, uh, I was really, I was uh, unbelievably um, uh, close to this quasi-panic place of now what, or oh my God, it's gonna end now, and all I could do was sit there and open. Fortunately, I had done a lot of. Practice up until uh, you know up, up to this point, and it became this amazing meditative awareness as I started hearing people on the bus kind of scream, yell, and shout because we're getting too close to the edge, or something like that, or uh, you know fall off the roof as, as this guy who was, by the way, going way too fast uh, was coming around a corner, and then somebody coming around to meet him, and then the skidding would would occur, and you could feel the. I mean, all of this just became this. There's nothing I can do. And what I experienced, what was so miraculous about this is the more I kind of surrendered to the fact that I may never see those that I loved most again, that this life that I was leading was going to perhaps come to a very quick end, what I, what I started to recognize was just this uh, upwelling of love, not just for those people in my life, but for this very life even if it did end, it was gonna be just fine. That in that surrender, love flows. In non-surrender, love cannot flow. And I think this is worth, worth our consideration tonight, really, really looking at surrender. How about looking at what is unsurrendered in you? great way of unpacking this one is being very, very clear about what you want from others. Whatever you want from others is unsurrendered. That's gold for practice. Well, I want respect. Let go of that. Surrender that. Let go of that. I want to feel loved it's there whether it's expressed or not i want to feel in control actually i don't have anything for you there (laughs) Uh, but still the the spaciousness of surrender that openness when we can begin to orient a life consciously from that place Love is the byproduct, flows rather freely. So I'd love to encourage each of us to kind of look at what it is that we don't have surrendered. Play with this over the next week. What are you hanging on to? What are you holding on to? What are your expectations? Look at those. It doesn't mean don't have them. It just means change the relationship you have with them doesn't mean don't set goals. It means look at the relationship you have with those goals. And we get infinite opportunity. Just opportunities abound for us to be able to kind of play in this surrendered spaciousness. We are always being asked to surrender Always being asked to surrender. Can you meet that? Can you open to that? Surrender. If we can just kind of map this out real simply that uh, surrender allows for love to be expressed. We have two kinds of love. We have small love and big love. I'll give you an example of uh, small love. Small love is... Um, Small love is pretty fun, actually. It's passionate. It's fiery. It's, uh, I want, I want, I want, I want. She's hot, or he is hot. Small love. Big love is the kind that is no longer passionate. It's something that goes beyond that. Um, It's something that's not... Uh, special but rather comprehensive and it's something that we rarely uncover unless we are really clued in usually to a depth practice of some kind Uh, and that's exactly what meditation is actually designed to do it's designed to show us actually that surrender offers us a pathway into this big love and this big love is incredibly powerful And so if we just look at this, taken apart, surrender gets us to love, which gets us to power. We're tapping into power. Surrender is power. And this flies in the face of most of the thoughts we may have around surrender. Every one of us has a slew of stories that our egos have written around surrender. Typically, they are, you know, never give up. We become our own internal Winston Churchill, never give up, never give up, never, never, our finest hour, you know, type thing that we run through our, uh, run through our consciousness. Last week, for instance, we dealt with uh, a poem that I used um, uh, in relationship to accountability it was the poem of Invictus. And Invictus is this incredibly powerful take me. You can't break me, on the one level. On the other level, it was something that was actually, depending on how one interprets it, it's something that actually opens us to, you can't break big love. You can't take this power that very naturally and spontaneously arises when I bring surrender into my experience. When any of us brings deep, continual, conscious surrender into our experience. What it does is it allows us to look very carefully at our clinging. What is it that you cling to? It's a great spiritual question. What are you clinging to? Usually people cling to their minds. They cling to their bodies. They cling to uh, those that they love they cling to their livelihoods, they cling to, you know, there are all all sorts of things that they cling to, and the clinging arises because they don't want to lose anything. When in fact, the universe shows us again and again and again, some of you may have experienced this, that uh, we lose everything. (laughs) Can't keep anything. Even your reputation. Even your reputation depends on all sorts of historic, historical uh, weaving of, of uh, uh, you know, of your life's yarns. That's the strangest metaphor I've ever used. Weaving of your life. <laughs> whatever. It's like we, we create this life. <laughs> we create this life that's predicated on this fabric that we weave. And that fabric will fray over time. It will get distorted, even at, I mean, one of the great things, like uh, I was having a discussion with someone, you know, what, what about the legacies of these people, like for instance, uh, you know, Gandhi, Dr. King, the Buddha, Christ, you know, the big contemporary and ancient sages, you know, well, they, their, their reputations have kind of weathered the, you know, the test of time really one of the greatest you know books i've read recently was stephen Batchelor's book on uh, uh confessions of a buddhist atheist where he just destroys whatever notion you have of had or may have of a magical buddha just shreds it brilliantly i think he does a great job how about gandhi i mean we know now biographer after biographer seems to point to the fact that this guy was a rather abusive husband No, no, Gandhi got the British out of India. Yeah, he also kicked his wife's ass. Huh. Martin Luther King. You know? These people are complex. All people are. There are no enlightened people. We can let go of that story. There is enlightened activity. So people that surrender, consciously and continually, are able to begin walking a little bit differently in the world. Their perspective has shifted. They're no longer clinging. They're no longer clinging to thoughts. Thoughts, clinging to thoughts, actually, is the birth of war. Because clinging to thoughts usually orients itself around certitude of some kind. The minute we are certain, absolutely certain, is the minute war can can arise and I'm certain of this I mean we have to I mean I'm kidding of course we we, we have to hold this loosely this teaching loosely you can't this teaching isn't for sure this teaching is about questioning Suzuki Roshi, my teacher's teacher, was uh, asked, uh, you know, well, how, do you, how do you sum it all up and so forth? And he said, he, he gave a lot of answers to this, but one of the ones I really liked so much was that the, uh, the, the core to uh, uh, the Dharma, the core to enlightened or non dual teachings is not always so. That it's not always so. It's not always what you expect, nor is it what you don't expect. The Lankavatara Sutra. One of the great, I mean, you ever want some really thick reading for the bathroom? Uh, get the Lunk of a Tara Sutra in there and, uh, and allow people to read that. The greatest line in there is things are not what they appear to be, nor are they otherwise. In that space, when we start looking at this, wow, we can't be sure of anything, the natural tendency is to fight that the supernatural tendency is to let it go, to become intimate with not knowing, to become intimate with not clinging. And in doing so, we are actually facing peace as peace. So when we stop clinging to our thoughts, we stop diminishing ourselves and others. And we stop war. When we stop clinging to our bodies, we stop disappointing ourselves and others because we no longer show flagrant delusion. If you ever run into somebody as an example of this, you ever run into somebody who, bless their hearts, they are working so hard to look really good and they have no business wearing those pants (laughs) you know what I'm talking about or they have no business trying to look 40 years younger than they actually are or they have no business trying to look 10 years older than they actually are what we're looking at in this space when we find someone who is working so hard on the surface when we when we when we really really can look at it, we can see delusion our own through another vanity is a wonderful thing in some respects I mean you it's there's there's no harm in you know taking on a look Hence my suburban Zen attire. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with vanity. But when we cling to it, when we're fighting against our own body's natural tendency to fall apart, we're swimming in pathos. And people can see it. And usually they, they, they have a harder time dealing with empathizing, and instead judge. So if we really wanna look at all of our pain, the source of all of our pain is clinging to stuff that cannot, cannot be clung to. We're trying to preserve something that cannot be preserved. Our bodies will fall apart our thoughts will evolve and our minds will fall apart too. I mean all of it goes. So instead of fighting against that stream, beginning to start to step into that flow more consciously allows for all sorts of marvelous things to happen. So how do we do this? How do we how do we uncling? Well, the most obvious example is through stillness practices. Whatever those stillness practices happen to be, I'm a huge fan of sitting still. It automatically begins to uncover uh, a clarity. And that clarity um, uh, that, that's, that's coming from stillness actually is a clarity that points us in the direction that is not ever subject to clinging. Clarity points us towards openness and release. Unless of course the clarity is egoic and then that clarity gets mistaken for certitude and certitude always leads us into some version or some form of war. One of the things that uh, surrender brings up for a lot of people is this idea. Especially if I were to use the word renunciation, uh, that usually freaks people out because they think of renunciates—you know, these people who, you know, hate the world and and they basically, uh, you know, walk through the streets and eat trash and and so forth. Which is always an option in spiritual practice if you wish. I just think there are some healthier ways of doing it. Um, uh, I, for example. Uh, believe that renunciation or I would articulate renunciation as quite literally that action of letting go not pushing away okay so the difference would be like renunciation as as we typically will think of it is somebody who denies the world and the way I'm trying to use the, the, the word is renunciation is allowing the world. It's surrendering to what is, which is so much at the forefront of what I keep talking about and yammering on about every single week. And renunciation therefore is not, just so we're clear, renunciation is not about giving in It's about giving up and not moving. Being totally present with whatever the contest is that's requiring your surrender. Whatever is asking for your surrender, it's that you surrender, but that you don't surrender and run. That you're not sending up a white flag and skedaddling. That instead, you are sending up the white flag and saying, and I'm right here. I'm not moving. Giving in runs away in some capacity. And spiritual surrender always stays put. I'll say that again. Giving in is always about running away. Spiritual surrender is about staying put. But it's not staying put so that it or we or our small small cells, or our egos can go to war rather it's staying put so that it can open to the blessing that surrender invariably shows us the clarity that spontaneously arises from it so with this definition then surrender or renunciation is release it's letting go We had this discussion when I was like, I think I, it was maybe like my second or third Dharma talk, and um, I I had no idea what I was doing, which was probably exactly what should have been happening. But I was sitting in front of all these people, and um, you know the 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 first first question, uh, the first Dharma question at the end of the talk that I gave was, all right, so. You know, how do you distill all this teaching down into, like, you know, a phrase? <laughs> and part of me, the, the, the woman who asked the question, bless her heart, uh, was an incredibly powerful source of just, she was a force of nature. Uh, and quite, quite a remarkable lady. I love her to death. Uh, uh, she hasn't she hasn't participated in the sangha for years and years, but still it was, it was really I remember, kind of. And she had had all this experience as a meditator, had studied with you know ten fifteen teachers at various points, so she was incredibly intimidating on all sorts of different levels. So how do you distill all this stuff down? And I don't know how it registered on my face, but inside I was going, oh. <laughs> you know, I've been found out, you know, charlatan, charlatan, you know, and what was so remarkable was I didn't, it wasn't even a thought, it just was like, came flying out of my face, was let go. And I was going to say something more, but I was like, perfect, okay, that was perfect. And I just sat there, and she looked, huh, thanks. Thanks. Next question. (laughs) But it was a really, really fascinating moment that this surrender, this renunciation is letting go. Something every one of us can do. In fact, if anybody has been lucky enough to have gone through years and years of therapy, what does a therapist do? They help us let go. (laughs) That's what they do how do I get over this broken heart? Let go. Oh. But it's not that easy. Well, no one said it was easy. Okay? It's simple. It's not easy. But this is really key to the work. When we do, when we do surrender, when we do renounce, when we do let go, we can participate more fully with all things. We can lead a life of depth and power. Not power to, you know, lord over people. But power that allows for stillness to inform all that we do. We just got to be willing to let go. Joseph Campbell has a great quote that I I'd share with you about this. He says, we must be willing to let go of the life we have planned so as to accept the life that is waiting for us. That defines the surrender. We must let go of the life we have planned so as to accept the life that is waiting for us. so think about this can you surrender your fixed ideas can you surrender the stories that you have authored the little scripts that you go by can you can you let those go can you (laughs) can you surrender or renounce or let go of any notion you might have about enlightenment The Dhammapada, uh, an ancient uh, Buddhist text, talks about this beautifully. It says, reciting a small portion of the scriptures, but putting it diligently into practice, letting go of passion, aggression, and confusion, revering the truth with a clear mind, and not clinging to anything here or hereafter brings the harvest of a holy life. Saying the same thing let go you want awakening do you want a greater if you don't want awakening do you at least want a greater degree of peace in your life if so this is the prescription (laughs) let go begin to consciously cultivate a surrendered heart and mind surrender to what is that all things will be taken So the advice (laughs) for my recommendation, uh, make sure that you practice recognizing what's really going on. Be really, really honest. What is really going on in every single moment? Cultivating that type of awareness. The obvious byproduct is clarity. What's really going on? Why do you want this? From others or for yourself? What are the causes and conditions surrounding whatever this circumstance is that seems to be troubling or seems to be giving me so much juice? You know, that's an examined life. Fearlessly walk into that. Next, don't resist what's happening. This doesn't mean don't participate fully. This means stop resisting what's happening, accept what's happening, investigate what's really going on. But instead of resisting it, can you participate with it? Instead of going to war with it, can you ask it to dance? This doesn't mean retreat. This doesn't mean give in. This means do not resist. You ever try to dance with somebody when they're resisting the whole time? That sucks. (laughs) Here, let me spin you. No, I will not be spun. All right. What would you like to do? I'm going to just stand here. Ah, oh, cool. Hope you don't mind because I'm going to move a little. I'm going to shake this groove thing. hope you don't, you know, I mean, the deep participation is really what it's about. Lastly, be curious. As we begin to examine our lives, if we can examine our lives with curiosity, curiosity tends to inspire non-attachment. As opposed to knowing, which is another way of saying certitude, which is another way of going to war. If you are curious about what's happening, if you are totally curious about your experience, if you are curious about the tendency not to want to surrender this or that, what happens is we begin to develop a very natural opening into a space that surrounds All things this space is open the space is free all things are born from this space and die into this space this space is uncovered every time we are fully present in the now curiosity opens us wonder opens us as opposed to knowing which closes us down not knowing and being totally comfortable with whatever chaos your ego thinks it's going to have to deal with when it doesn't know is exactly the work of surrender which is loving and powerful powerful in ways that the small self will never ever be able to manage and so that you're aware Without the curiosity, without resistance, and with a denial of what's going on, the ego will be able to keep this invitation, this opening, from ever getting too close. Practicing, on the other hand, calling things as they are, as best you can, not resisting and being curious, if you can orient yourself in those three spaces, what naturally happens is ego is forced to give up control. And when that starts to happen and it starts to fight back, can you get curious about that? Can you not resist it, but ask the ego to dance as it starts to try to prevent awakening from happening? Can you get curious about the lies that ego will begin to tell when we're invited to make significant change? Doing so is a a practice of surrender. It's a practice of letting go. And this practice of letting go carries us effortlessly into the flow that leads us right into the heart. Awakening. At least I think so. I don't really know. Okay. Um, let, let me, let me. Uh,
0: it's about not running away, but staying
1: put. Giving in runs away. Thank you. Spiritual surrender stays put. Yes.
0: Um. Recently, over like the last couple of months, I've been working through frustrations, anger. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just what I've been finding out is I'm clinging on and what it really is, is clinging to respect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think you told a story last summer. And I, don't, and I don't, it was about, I think you and your wife were at a movie theater, and some guy came across, I, I don't know the story you were telling last summer <laughs> correctly, but some like guy, came, probably a jerk, came across to you, and you said the old you would have been like, Rah, you know, uh, Yeah. You, just, you let it go. Uh huh. And so in my life, and I always remember that story because in my life, when some guy cuts me off, and like Michael would have let him go. <laughs> and I say this in my head, Michael lets him go. Uh, oh, okay. And so but I'm always like, but I need this respect until I really heard your line tonight and say, you know what, I just need to just let it go and stay put. It's not that I need to go fight for it. Just, just stay put and let it yeah. render
1: it. Right, no one's gonna give you respect.
0: No, yeah.
1: That you don't have for yourself. You're right. You're right. Okay. And so when we start when our orientation becomes organically driven, so to speak, and you know, when it comes from within, uh-huh. does that make sense? Uh-huh. Then uh, uh, surprisingly what happens is that respect gets mirrored. Yeah. So what happens is we start to lose this victim. Someone who's demanding respect yeah. is someone who is totally victimized and they're, they, they live in that space and being a victim it's okay to visit that but it's just living there sucks right yeah, yeah. yeah no nobody and and how unattractive is it when you come across someone you know how we talked about someone who is kind of you know deeply ensconced in bodily delusion okay well that can happen in mind too it can be really uncomfortable to watch someone who is caught up in their own karma in fact that's one of the most difficult things we can ever view is seeing someone caught in their own, what they have to go through. And people who are all about, woe is me, it triggers some, some people get triggered into, oh, I can help them. Other people are like, yeah, get me out of (laughs) here. Whatever the reaction, it's actually points at our clinging. Right? At our clinging. And this is why every difficult person that you ever run into or have run into is a Buddha. Can we let their teaching in? Yeah? Oh, yeah, you're welcome. Now let that go. I (laughs) will. Okay. Yes, Yolanda.
0: Okay, can you speak to um, integrity as it relates to ego? Because we normally think of integrity as a good thing. But if you cannot... If a person can't let go of the integrity or feels like, personally, I have felt that my integrity has been, that I've needed to make certain decisions based right. on what I felt was my integrity, which has caused conflict, and I can't figure out how to let that go because it feels like I would be giving up, by giving up some, my integrity, I feel like that would be a thing. It you know, would be.
1: How to let that go in a good way. So. Which, you know, how do you... It, it sounds like what you're, <laughs> what you're asking is how do you really let it go? Yeah, in a good way. Right, well, it yeah. sounds like you did. And the fact that people, you, you acted from a place of integrity, which is integral. Integral meaning that it came from a place of authentic and radical honesty and so if you were and by the way radical honesty is surrendered it's not something that you have to fight for it's something that needs no fight radical honesty is the truth beyond name and form it's not your truth versus my truth it's the infinite and so when we consciously come from the infinite we are acting from a place of radical honesty or integrity if you're acting from a place where there is it's it's i I, I want to be careful how i use this word but without compromise okay you're coming from a place of deep truth consciously then well, well, so let me just play this out, and then, then we'll, we'll, we'll explore that. If you are coming at this from a place of deep, authentic, or, or radical honesty, people may not like it. It may actually affect some, you know, rather intense change. It may force that issue, and it may hurt other people. But that hurt may indeed involve their growth so indeed acting from this place of integrity might very well be the most generous thing you could do even though it causes conflict or or pain or whatever it's you're coming from a place of truth and in doing so you're actually allowing for surrender to extend its invitation to everyone that might be affected Now that said, it's very important that you are surrendered to. That it comes from a place of openness. And surrender, surrender really is about what? Forgiveness. Yeah? Forgiving self. Forgiving other. Forgiving totally. Now you can meet the world with curiosity because you're no longer resisting and you're calling it as it is, right? Can you be curious about this space that you're in right now? Just be cu- feel it in your body. Be really curious about it. Curious about the thoughts. Don't resist them. But just get next to them. And you'll find that there's space around them. And in that space, what are we actually talking about? That's truth. That's the truth beyond name and form. If you can consciously meet the world from that place, you can forgive. You can forgive self. You can forgive others, all things. You can perpetually act from a place of integrity. It's an amazing practice. Amazing invitation. Report back. Anyone else? Yeah.
0: Um, so I've been I mean, I wanted to ask you this for a while now, but um, so I can be open in my life to the people cutting me off and random arguments and disagreements with people. Well,
1: it's a good thing she's with you then.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um.
0: So I can do that, but then when I look at the bigger picture and I turn on the news and I hear about this woman who's going to get st- maybe stolen to death in Iran or wherever, mm-hmm. so I guess I have a I have a problem with maybe I feel slightly guilty that I have the opportunity to be so comfortable in this awareness or this openness. But but how how can you be open to that? how can you live in how can somebody live in the face
1: of that and still? It's what it, it's what is. And so, what it's done, it's inspired a compassionate heart in you, hasn't it? Her death might actually inspire something pretty powerful in you. What are you going to do about it? Right? It's not that it's okay. It's not that it's ethical or that, oh, hey, that's their deal. Let them do No. No, it's not. It's causing tremendous harm in ways that don't correspond with any aspect of this teaching. Right? How do you you look at those people who are actually uh, instigating this stuff? You look at them the same way you might look at that aspect of yourself that is fundamentalist in nature. And you approach the situation. You approach your emotions. You approach them with seeing it as it is. In other words, developing honesty, radical honesty around the situation, okay? Making sure that you are not resisting what is and that you become curious about it. And then actually you're bringing up a cool fourth step, act. But act in that place of openness. I couldn't believe the tool that Twitter became when that woman was killed on the streets of Tehran last summer. That one woman's death, the image of her death, watching life right there flow out of her face, galvanized a global community, because people said, no, that's not okay. And saying no can be be said in two different ways. One from a position of war, and the other one from a position of radical honesty and compassion. No, I won't do that. Or no, I don't want this to happen. I'm going to do what I can to put myself in a situation whereby my voice can be heard. My money can be spent in... My congressperson needs to vote this way. You get the idea. You can, you can choose whichever way you want to do it. But that means that you are then becoming an engaged participant from a place of surrender. You're not harboring ill will for people. I mean, you know, have you ever seen a small child do something really mean to another small child? Well, you don't go up to the perpetrator of the violent act and start getting all on them, you know, getting violent on them, right? Similarly, when people are bound, when they are in bondage, when they cannot see out of the burning house that they're in, We still go in and help them. How can you be helpful? That becomes the the real, the guiding principle here. How can you be helpful? You might not be able to stop the savagery that might be uh, be waiting for this woman. But you can still become an active and engaged participant from a deeply open place. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's why we call it practice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How
0: do you become an active participant without being
1: attached? You know that in your participation, the outcome that you seek may not arise, may not show up big deal. You got involved. And so that way, we no longer are, I mean, the, the typical way that we tend to work as in, in ego is we cling to an outcome. We, we create this picture, and it might be really detailed or whatever, and that's what I want. And then there, we don't hit it. And so there's, there's suffering. And instead, what we do is say, that's the picture I want. Who knows what's going to happen as I move in that direction? But I'm going to keep orienting myself towards that whatever happens great. But I cannot do this to it because then I will inevitably keep what could potentially, as Joseph Campbell says, could be greater from happening. So, for instance, you find find something that really moves you, that you feel really, really strongly about and from a surrendered place you engage, knowing full well that you cannot measure your contribution against result. But instead, you can measure your contribution by the depth and breadth of your open heart as you participate. And surrender shows us continually, again and again and again, that our hearts are big enough to withstand all the heartbreak in the world. We can do it. But you have to not resist. You have to practice small. And you start recognizing that the pain of the world can be withstood and we can engage. You talk to people who are working in Darfur right now in these refugee camps, you know, these brave men and women, and they are looking at misery like you—we I mean, can't even fathom it—and they're right there. Why are you doing this? You know, you know, that the, you know that this is a hopeless cause, and so yeah, but I'm doing it. Or the old story of the. Uh, uh, you guys, I know you've heard this one. I just love this story in relationship to this very thing. It's where the uh, um, uh, the um, starfish start washing up on uh, the shore. I always always remember hearing this as a, a story about um, on the on the Pacific coast of Mexico. But anyway, so uh, uh, on the beach, all these starfish keep keep you know flowing onto the shore, and this old man is going down. He's chucking these starfish and there are just countless thousands of starfish along this beautiful beach. There's no way, there is no way he's going to get them all back into the ocean. And a, a you know, teenager comes up and says, what are you doing, you crazy old man? You think that's going to make a difference? And the old man looks at him and smiles and he grabs another one and he throws it in. and He said, I just made a difference to that one. <laughs> And so we clean up each tar ball on the beach. We engage because it's helpful, not because there's going to be any gain. That's giving, it's not negotiating. Does that make sense? And that takes practice. Right? (laughs) Yeah, Don.
0: so the way I would summarize uh, what you've been saying is
1: let go of the outcome. Mm-hmm. You do it
0: because it's what needs
1: to be done. It's what needs to be done, and even in that, you let go of that. Yeah. Yeah, letting go of outcomes. And isn't that a trick? Every one of us in this room has got to this place because we have become incredibly skilled at hanging on. And being, if that's goal, focused not allowing and. Anything. <laughs> exactly and that's why that's why uh, the work of enlightenment the work of awakening the work of surrender is really about unlearning it's not about acquiring Don't know. it's about letting go it's about not knowing yeah which is the opposite direction that we've 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 you know uh, we've been traveling <laughs> yeah so that in each moment we are a beginner you know yeah